Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. Measuring social impact and human rights regulations are hot topics right now and ones that our social impact pioneer today has been working very hard on. Meet Emily Kane Miller. From lawyer to social impact specialist, Emily has an eye for detail. Emily has felt the pain of not being able to measure and manage social impact within businesses. Most people complain about this. Emily bucks this trend and instead sets up her own ethos tracking, the social impact data capture and reporting platform. So get ready to hear from Emily as she takes us from the basics of social impact within businesses. Why bother doing social impact measurement? how to get started right through to the nuances of the emerging human rights and due diligence regulatory reporting requirements. So Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Hi. It's great to have you. Emily, I wanted to dive straight into our first uh, question for for the conversation. You are CEO and founder of Ethos Giving, and you recently launched Ethos Tracking. Can you tell us a bit about your journey? What has brought you to this point? Absolutely. So I am a practitioner, right? I've, I've spent my career in social impact and that's meant different things. Um, I've worked for government, I've worked for nonprofits, I've worked for companies, but the thread that is in common is that I've always worked to create community impact within the organizations that I was serving. And in 2019, I had my second baby. I saw this really growing ecosystem of people who wanted to make impact bigger and better, but weren't exactly sure how to get started. And I felt like there was really an opportunity to create a consulting firm that helped do what we call back of house social impact. So if you think about a restaurant, there are the people who make the food in the back of the kitchen who are, you know, knee deep in the work. And that's where I love being an impact. And I felt like there was an opportunity to create a services firm as we call ourselves for uh, supporting today's you know, donors and doers, whether those be companies or families, get really powerful work accomplished. So that's the consulting firm. And then we created a left-hand, right-hand SaaS platform that helps track the data that the consulting firm supports on the, the growth side. And I want to pick up on that data piece. Uh, this year seems to be like the, the data year. I mean, it's been coming for a long time, but whether it's around the pushback around the idea of ESG, so environment, social and governance because of greenwash, so data being missold, mistold, but also the increasing sort of tidal wave of regulation requiring more specific, particularly social impact, which is notoriously difficult to get proper data on. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, what have you learned on the journey that you've been on with regards to data? What is it that, that others perhaps need to know in order to make this, you know, truthful? We want to we want to progress the idea of making positive social impact. Absolutely. So 
let me back up by saying I've always been lucky to work with people and organizations that truly cared about the work being effective, impactful, you know, having veracity. So I have been in data land for 20 years. I, I feel very lucky to say. And it wasn't until I put my head up as a consultant and started attending conferences, meeting new people, meeting new partners, that I realized that that was actually pretty unique and special and that I had a head start on this question of how do we measure and manage impact the same way we would measure and manage any other part of our business and realized that I had a point of view that was, you know, road tested as it were that I could bring to the table. So, you know, when we think about impact data, really it's no different than measuring and managing anything else that you actually care about being true. I often say we need QuickBooks for social good, which is just an easy metaphor for saying, if you look at your balance sheet, it's not based on photos or narrative. It's based on data and, and information and data points. And so really understanding what your organization is trying to do from an impact perspective, whether that be related to programming or the environment or impact investment, and really taking a step aside and saying, okay, we know there are going to be KPIs that we can measure related to what happened. How many people attended? What dollars did we spend? How many hours did we volunteer? That's that's helpful data. And absolutely that should be recorded. And by the way, it isn't always recorded. So, you know, start start with that for sure. But then taking another step sort of into the information and saying, okay, great that we have this what data. Let's focus on why data. How are we pulling out KPIs that help us identify if this worked? Amazing that we invested a million dollars philanthropically or in-kind donations or product, that's all super. We did it because we wanted it to be beneficial. So how do we measure pre-post data or net promoter scores or other impact metrics, maybe information that's available at a government level, right? If we're doing something that has to do with policy so that we're actually identifying an answer to the question, not did we actually do this thing? Okay, great. Yes, we did it. But, but was it powerful? Was it impactful? Those are the types of KPIs that we hope get created side by side to really show that work is working. And so sort of going back to that piece, which is the fact that ESG or um, so Environment, Social and Governance or DEI, too many acronyms, everybody, sorry, so diversity, equity, inclusion are being questioned as to whether they are relevant for particularly business, but other sectors to be kind of leaning into to try and create and support for. How does the data help show that it's worth doing and or can the data be used for good like what's your response to people who's like oh it's just social wash it's just a complete waste of time it's all mm-hmm. kind of namby-pamby and you know everybody's just playing their own political or social cards here it doesn't mean anything how does data work in that space absolutely so i i would take a step back you know Number one, if you're doing something, I love that term, is I'm going to start using it, namby-pamby, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Like if, if there isn't something that is core to your mission that you all really believe in, that is part of who you are as an organization, and it's really just to sort of put points on a board and have somebody, you know, give a social cue that we're part of this club, I would argue that that's not impact work, right? That's marketing work. And I would maybe be among the people who would say, this is frivolous, or if you try to show impact around something that's not actually true for who you are as an organization, that that's actually problematic. Where I think impact data lifts off is when you as an organization that's inclusive of your leadership, your board, you know, your core constituents, your employees, 
get together and and really are aligned and say, we're going to put our thumb on the scale of this issue, or we are going to show that we as an organization are standing up and showing up for this work, X, Y, or Z work. And we're going to do it in a way that is has methodology and is serious. That's when data really does help you show that you're taking it seriously, right? So, you know, taking the workforce example that you just shared, you know, related to DEI, if somebody, if an organization says, we are going to create a more equitable and inclusive workforce, and that's not backed up by data, I don't know how you show that you're actually doing the work, right? And so that can be about how you do talent acquisition, how you engage in training, how you support the workforce engaging in more inclusive behaviors around things related to, you know, programming or speaker series or whatever it may be, really holding yourself accountable is the only way to have this work work. And I think that's anything but Nambi Pambi. I think it I think it actually has to do with the soul of an organization and being able to push back on naysayers and say, look, like you can say whatever you want. We know that this is core to who we are and we have the data to prove it is an incredibly powerful tool. So for anybody who's listening to this, from a practical perspective of trying to do this, do social impact properly. What would be your advice to them? My advice to them would be to understand who you are, what your North Star is, and really have a perspective on how you are impactful as an organization. If you don't start from that place, it's exhausting and very, very difficult to really have, I think, an effective strategy that leads to true results. So who am I? What am I doing in this work? Once you establish that, you have a thesis and you've built out a perspective around that thesis, you've got, you know, rubric, KPIs, whatever the things are that help you really stay in that, in that lane, keep putting points on the board. I also would recommend not being worried about, you know, doing everything. I think once you have that thesis, there's probably 20 things, maybe I'm making up a number, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 30, that you as an organization could do to support that North Star. If that feels overwhelming, don't start by doing 30, start by doing five and really establishing a rigor around what those five programs are. And by rigor, I mean understanding what you're doing, who you're doing it with, what the KPIs are that you're measuring to understand if the work is working. And it's not to say that if the KPIs come back and it's not as dynamic as you had hoped that you would stop. It's to say that you care about this work enough to measure it, manage it, and then recalibrate if things aren't going as planned. Again, the same way that you would run any other part of your business. If you think about a supply chain effort or a brand effort, it's the way that businesses are run. So running the social impact the way that you would engage in any other piece of the organization and really being methodical and consistent is exactly the perspective that I would bring to this work. Lastly, I think it's really important that there are a regular cadence to share this information with key stakeholders because people have an appetite for this work when it's exciting. I think we've all been in those rooms where something happens in the world or um, something happens within the organization that people really rally and things get started, but they don't stay consistently a part of the organization. So if this work is work that you care about and you want to care about for the long haul, really identify how you breathe life into it, not just when it's exciting, but a year in, a year out from now, how you're ensuring that everybody continues to have an appetite for this and and that there's a way to continue visioning, to continue articulating how this is important to the organization. I was just reflecting. I've been working in 
social impact and sustainability type stuff for kind of 20 something years now. And I was just reflecting how much that's changed, you know, and when we set out, it was very program based and let's, you know, always marketing led and linked and, and those sorts of things. And now it's that piece of, you know, where's the core? How do you make it long term, keep going, like plan front and the theory of change up front as well? It's, it's, um, it feels right, I think, to feel that kind of progression, that evolution, the, the sort of growing up of this type of work within businesses. Emily, I'm very aware. So you, uh, we're, we're recording this for anybody listening. We're recording this at the beginning-ish of 2024. And Emily, you've recently written an, a Forbes article with regards to impact trends that you're seeing. I was wondering whether, it's a bit cheeky, for anybody who hasn't read the article, could you give us a bit of a summary and a synopsis? Like, What are you seeing in terms of that beginning of 2024, top trends, but also perhaps that kind of sneaky peek into like, how would you respond to them? What's your advice to others who are sort of in that space? Absolutely. So um, I'm sure there'll be a link to the article. People can you know check it out. But what the, the cliff notes are, this work is a little bit, you know, second verse, same as the first, right? A little bit louder. I don't think there's going to be like seismic shifts, but there are some notable things that are happening. I'll share two that I think are the, the most important. One is the regulatory shift that you alluded to earlier in the conversation. We say, I think people like you and me and the folks listening to this, we say that this work is a need to have, right? It's not a, it's not a nice to have. I believe that that is true. It is not always actually true. One of the things that's so interesting about these regulatory updates that you're seeing in the EU, in California, here in the States, and I think growing really across the globe is the true shift to need to have because regulators are demanding it. Um, and that can be happening as it relates to financial information. Um, it can be happening as it relates to environmental data. You know, scope one, two, three is on top of everybody's list. But we no longer are in a situation where people can just say, you know, I do this and I'm I'm going to share it from a marketing perspective and narrative. We're actually needing to show the receipts. So that is happening. 2024, I think, is going to be the beginning of it. And then, you know, we'll continue to see more and more. And while that can be scary. I think for people sitting in our chairs, it's actually really exciting because it's going to add an extra level of intentionality and, you know, frankly, investment for this work that's going to ultimately, I think, be very positive for the people who lead these efforts, but mostly positive for the work itself, which is beneficial for the community and the environment, et cetera, et cetera. The other piece that I would say is you know, top level coming out of the article is AI. I'm not the first person to say that AI is, you know, among us that, you know, ChatGPT kind of rocked the world for everybody, but the question is going to be how can number one we use AI as a leveraging tool. We know that none of us have teams that are big enough. I I've never met a social impact professional that says I have too many people, I'm not sure what they should do. We all are running leaner and th than we otherwise could be for the level of importance and value of the work that we run. So, how can AI be used as a tool to grow the pie? for social impact work and social impact professionals, I think is something that we all are asking ourselves individually and that I think collectively can help us grow impact. So I hope people share that among ourselves. That can be as simple as posting something on LinkedIn to say, hey, maybe you all haven't thought of this. Here's how our team is leveraging this effort for grants management or whatever it may be that, that I think is going to be very helpful. The other question on the AI piece is, you know, as we think about, especially people who work in tech or are actually building the tools in real time, one of the terms that I often use for our positions are chief soul officers. So to the extent that we believe that AI can be a force for good, I buy into that. 
I think we also all understand that AI may be problematic for a whole host of reasons, especially as we think about how it impacts communities, how it impacts young people, how it impacts potential inflammation of geopolitical events around the world. So the other place where I see impact people like us playing a really important role is in that chief sole officer role. Nobody wants this work to be fraught and to create you know, problems for society. That by definition is going to happen with anything that is new. And so how can we sit in these chairs and help support good decisions being made, good regulations being written, you know, safe use cases being created for teachers or for parents, et cetera. So I think we play a dual role in that AI question. Really pertinent pieces. And actually, I was going to pick up, if it's okay with you, on the regulatory piece, because we've got um, certainly the conversations I've had at this tail end of 2023 and beginning of 24, everybody I know who's working on the impact is really laser focused on that regulation and trying to get heads around it, businesses ready for it, supply chains ready for it. I was wondering whether, cheeky ask, what are your hacks to try and stay ahead or be on the front foot in terms of that regulation coming through, whether it's about, are there any signposts towards case studies or or frameworks that people should be aware of, or perhaps even just like, how do you prep your value chain for the expectation that they might need to do due diligence and risk assessments through them, or even just like data hacks? What, what's your kind of, how do you, how do you get, get on the front foot with regards to this, as you say, that regulation shift? Absolutely. So, you know, the first thing that I would do is start with an internal conversation to make sure that you know who are the key partners for this work. I've seen so many situations where People are preparing in silos, especially within bigger organizations, and it's a bad use of everyone's time. It leads to friction and you know, potential mistakes, which nobody wants. Um, so number one, have a summit within your company to say, hey, you know, we are in X uh, regulatory environment, or you know, there's probably multiple regulatory environments, especially if you're selling things overseas, et cetera, that you are going to fall under and make sure that everybody, whether that be supply chain team within your organization, legal, you know, the social impact team certainly have a chance to sit down and really map out what are we going to ultimately be required to adhere to potentially question mark and make sure that everybody is on the same page. And hopefully out of that committee comes a structure within the organization where people are proactively gathering data and understanding what your information sets are. So first it's a it's a pulse check, right? An audit of sorts to really say, okay, we believe that people are going to be asking us about X, Y, and Z items within the business, let's first ask ourselves, what's what's true for us today? And then from there, you can really understand what the gaps are. If that is not what is going to ultimately need to be true tomorrow, how you can start addressing and fixing for and solving for whatever those gaps may be. Most of the regulations that we've reviewed have some you know, opportunity for growth. They know that businesses, regulators know that businesses aren't going to be able to shift on a dime. But knowing that these are coming down the pike, be first. There are lots of reasons to get ahead of this. Number one, they're not going anywhere. But number two, it creates a market advantage for you and also a social impact advantage for you to say, we didn't snooze on this. It was a priority for us. You know, we weren't going to be regulatorily required to do this until 2026. I'm making up the date. But we took the bull by the horns and got on the front lines because number one, we knew that it was something we were going to have to do. But number two, we believed that it was important enough to prioritize it and not hold off on on doing it until the last second. The other piece of advice that I would have, and this may, you know, depend on where you are and where you sit, 
reach out to regulators, especially if there's a genuine question or a genuine concern to say, you know, we really want to be on the cutting edge of this, the right side of this. We have some questions. And I think, you know, people are always nervous, especially in the States. Maybe this is less true in the EU to, to engage with regulators in a way that feels a bit more collegial. I've seen that work in real time. The people who are writing these laws are not trying to, you know, do something that's impossible. They're trying to do something that's practical and is going to move the needle within the constituency served. And so working with companies can actually be a really great opportunity for them to say, okay, well, this isn't working for this size business. What can work for this size business? And they're not going to know that unless they're in conversation with partners. You can do that if it's not possible to do it as an individual. You can do that through trade associations. You can do it through other sort of larger institutional partnerships if it's not something that you can do kind of wearing your own hat exclusively. But it's okay to raise your hand and ask questions. Oh, fantastic advice. And thank you very much for sharing those hacks. Everybody who's listening, that was gold dust. <laughs> I hope you're taking notes. I'll try and put my, do my best to summarize that and put that in the words that sit alongside the podcast so you guys can have a look at that. But also just be aware for anybody listening, um, we've got our um, equity summit coming up and I would put my money on uh, definitely uh, doing just such that sort of almost like workshop or, or bring your questions to the, to the people who might know uh, place. So do uh, stay in touch with Business Fights Poverty summits that are up and coming because this is a priority for us for sure, as it's a priority for so many others. Emily, we're going to kind of round off the question now. What's next for you? Where are you going? What's the work that you're on? But also, what's your kind of like your ambition? Where do you where do you see this really going for you? It's a great question. And one that I ask myself a lot, I'll say just off the top, Ethos Tracking, which we mentioned at the top, which is our SaaS platform that helps people measure and manage all of their impact data is two years young. So I think, you know, certainly for the next few years, at least I'm going to be putting a lot of personal time and energy into launching that brand more broadly. And also helping people who are doing great work do it more easily. The whole reason we built this, I I joke that I was a SaaS developer by accident. It wasn't something that I went out to build. I just felt like it was missing for my clients and then, you know, had something that I felt like was beneficial for for more than just us. Would love to matchmake with organizations and people that could benefit from the tool. So really growing that and growing the conversation around helping people not be scared of data, but use data to our advantage. So that we can collectively look back at the people who say this is Namby Pamby and and push back and say, actually, thanks for you know commenting. It's real and it's meaningful and you can do it too is something that I really interested in spending time doing and, and growing the pie for. And you know, more broadly, being part of community with folks like you, people who are listening, who are, you know, doing this work, who believe that business can be a force for good, that there is work that needs to be done in society, that we all have. A responsibility to help support um, is something that I, you know, plan on going more deeply into writing about it, thinking about it, teaching about it, and, you know, really trying to help grow the next generation of change makers. Because as much as I have many, many years left, I know that, you know, I am slowly shifting into middle career and that we really want the folks who are coming up in this work to be able to do it even better than we ever did because the world needs it. Oh, I'm your cheerleader. Definitely, Emily. I literally couldn't agree with you more. And would you come back to us and share as, as that platform develops, as the ethos tracking kind of grows up, et cetera, come and share with us what you're, what you're up to and how it's getting along, um, but also some of those data pieces that you've analysed and, and, and found out about. So please do stay in touch for sure. 
A hundred percent would be my pleasure. And, you know, maybe even an in-person someday would be so fun. Ah, definitely, definitely. And for everybody listening, I'll make sure I put the links into the words that sit alongside the conversation today so that you guys can go and have a look at uh, the ethos tracking platform, the ethos giving, but also uh, go and and find Emily on the internet somewhere so that you can connect with her and, and, and learn about this together with her as well. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate it. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 